Welcome back to Behind the Wings, a podcast produced by Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum in Denver, Colorado. And we've got a lot to explore. Stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, and up-close looks at iconic aircraft of the past, present, and future. It's time to go Behind the Wings. All right, it's episode 13, and we're so glad to have you along for the ride. Now, make sure you don't miss any episode, and be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Uh, Maybe where you're listening right now. Also, give us a rating. It's the most important way you can help other space nerds, uh, aviation geeks, and history buffs discover the Behind the Wings podcast. Now... We're excited to bring you a special episode today. I'm your host, Rick Crandall, and with me as always is Wings Over the Rockies president and CEO, John Barry. Hey, John, what do we have for folks today? Well, thanks, Rick. Uh, This is going to be a unique episode. We're talking about drones again on the podcast. Last time on episode four, we discussed drone soccer and the regulatory challenges that this quickly growing industry faces. It takes on autonomous flight, air taxi services, and more. So if you want a great introduction on drones, go check that out, please. Today, we're going deeper with a company called Mission Go, who is using drones to do a variety of things from infrastructure, inspections, to medical and commercial cargo, and even to saving lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, And infrastructure inspections are certainly important. I know a lot of companies are out there doing that, and it's where many of them are able to make money today. But I'm really excited about the medical applications. In April of 2019, Mission Go did the first ever drone delivery of an organ transplant. Sounds incredible, right? And since then, they've delivered everything from pizza to blood and life-saving medication. You know, we should probably say pizza and organs for separate (laughs) delivery packages, right? But in all seriousness, this is such a cool and important use that I think we're going to see more and more of as this technology grows and grows across the country. Yeah, and what a fascinating way to use drones. Our guests today are Chris Cognati and Ryan Henderson. Chris is a retired Navy captain and business executive with extensive experience in both the federal and private sectors in executive leadership, strategic planning, operational execution, and unmanned or uncrewed aircraft systems. And Ryan was the pilot on the inaugural organ transplant flight in 2019 and has been with Mission Go throughout their subsequent operations. This one is going to be cool. All right, let's get started. Chris Cognati, Ryan Henderson, welcome to the show. Thank you. We really have been looking forward to this episode to dive into both the technology and the potential impact drone delivery can have to improve lives, you know, especially when it comes to medical applications, which we'll get into a little bit later in the show. But let's start off with a bit of the history of Mission Go and how this came about and specifically the mission. Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll give you the the quick overview, and I think we'll get deeper into that, that first mission. But the origin of the company goes back to 2019. Um, Dr. Joe Scalia is one of our founders, uh, is a, a world-renowned transplant surgeon who at the time was at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Uh, he had the idea, he said, he saw the drone, saw what we were doing and said, why are we not using this as part of our organ delivery service when we're moving organs around the country for transplant recipients? So he reached out to the University of Maryland test site down in Pax River, Maryland, 
where Ryan was working with Tony Pucciarella, who was another founder uh, and a previous president of Mission Go, and said, hey, this is a perfect opportunity. They put it together. Ryan actually flew the mission, so I'll let him talk to the specifics of it. Um, in uh, Right in downtown Baltimore, delivered a kidney that was transplanted into a human being for the first time successfully. From that, we grew into, into, into Mission Go. Well, you know, it's uh, great to hear about that. And before we really get into some of the details of the technology and the projects uh, you're working on, I want to broaden the conversation a little bit for our listeners and get them some insights on the industry as a whole. Why drones? What are the benefits? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a number of them, right? Is, you know, the, the buzzwords we used to use in, when I was still in uniform in the Navy were dull, dangerous, and dirty work where you wanted to take a human being out of a potentially hazardous situation or something that was very mundane, um, that required a lot of attention, but was harder for humans to do over long periods of time. Um, and, and then I think as, as we progress in the industry, you see there's opportunities uh, to reduce carbon footprints by going to all electric aircraft. Uh, you can have noise reductions in crowded or urban environments by going to smaller aircraft, obviously. Larger helicopters, bigger rotors, you know, gas turbine engines. Um, you know, there's there's the noise factor as well, um, and then there's the you know matching the tool to the job. Um, where if I only need to move a ten pound package, why am I flying you know a twelve million dollar helicopter? Uh, I can do that very efficiently with a much cheaper but yet very reliable, very robust um, you know unmanned or uncrewed aircraft. We'd like to say we're using drones for good. And those are the opportunities we really like to exploit. You can do them for a lot of things, and it's not to catch, you know, say anything's better than the other. But we look at those uh, unique missions like critical medical or infrastructure inspection, which we're, we're super excited. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, we're doing wildfire prevention work out in California. Again, using the technology to, um, you know, keep the power grid up and operating and supporting you know, people and businesses and also avoiding those fires that have been devastating parts of the West. So those are the places we look to apply the technology. Want to get a little um, bit deeper on the technology enabling all of this, uh, starting with the current aircraft you've built. Uh, Mission goes MGV one hundred. It's fully electric. It's autonomous. It can fly for an hour, cover about thirty miles. Tell us about what it took to build something of this nature and and some of the key features. I'll, I'll turn the mic over to the guy who's actually done the yeah. work, <laughs> Ryan. Hey guys, uh, Ryan Henderson here, and thanks for having me. And I'd love to tell you more about our MGV 100 flagship single rotor helicopter. Um, you know, I, I think really we need to cover the why, because that's a big question we get oftentimes is there's a lot of uncrewed systems out there and there's a lot of really good ones too, but why did we go with this one? And why did we choose the form factor? of a single rotor helicopter. You know, a couple of those reasons are number one, the helicopter is a tried and true design. It's, it's, we've been flying helicopters for a very long time. We understand how helicopters work and the sheer nature and, um, you know, physics of a helicopter also lend itself to other um, particular areas such as stability and performance, which is really, really important to us. Um, when it comes to critical medical cargo or even inspections um, and really any aviation activity in general, one of the number one things that causes delays or perhaps uh, an issue is weather. 
And when we are dealing with um, autonomous systems such as this, where we don't have a person on board to be able to deal with certain things, it is really paramount that the aircraft is very stable and can handle changing and variable conditions. This becomes even more important when we're doing operations inside of a very urban environment such as a city where you have tall buildings and very, very strange and chaotic wind patterns. The helicopter, and particularly this one, lends itself to be incredibly stable and robust. Um, we've flown this aircraft in incredible amounts of wind, probably higher winds than I would be comfortable getting in a full-size helicopter and going up and uh, tooling around the sky. So this helicopter is able to do that without you know, any issues. Some of the other really unique properties of this aircraft are its redundancy. That was another very high and key item for us. If we're gonna be carrying um, such critical components and flying this aircraft in proximity to people and higher density, uh, densely populated areas, it's super important to us that the airworthiness of the aircraft is gonna provide a platform that we can rely on and it's not going to fail. So the aircraft has some redundancies built in such as multiple motors multiple batteries, multiple actuators. Mm. It has actually six different links for command and control. So we're, we're well tethered to this aircraft as far as uh, its communications. It's not gonna get away from us very easily. Um, and all of these particular redundancies on this aircraft are built as such that if any one of these things fails, it's completely transparent to the performance of the aircraft even with a full payload in extreme conditions. Ryan, I'm guessing two, two things. One, so it's not going to go rogue on you. We know, we know that much so far. Talk to, me, talk to me for a second, though, about the power supply, the battery itself, because, you know, as with electric vehicles that people are driving now, you know, I've just gotten into a hybrid for the first time, so I'm learning about batteries. That's critical, right? The battery, was there anything special you had to craft for the drone? Well, what I'll tell you is, is that the aircraft uses a very, you know, standardized, you know, lithium polymer battery that a lot of unmanned, uncrewed aircraft are using today. But what really makes it unique is the power um, delivery architecture that is in the design, okay? So you can have, say, one of those batteries fail, but then the other, circuit of batteries that are still functioning will be able to provide ample uh, power and current to the motors and propulsion system to continue to fly. I can tell you, Rick, that uh, uh, at, at a recent demonstration that we did for a pretty demanding client, you know, I think he was not, uh, he was skeptical or uh, uh, of what you could do in the redundancy. So we had our uh, head of maintenance took off one of the control links took off one of the drive belts from the motors and took all, one of the batteries off of the aircraft and handed the parts to the client and then proceeded to take off and fly the mission. He's like, okay, I guess you guys are serious about this. <laughs> yeah, they, awesome. they found that pretty unusual that someone could disassemble half of the aircraft and continue to fly it as sure. if it was just another day. So, sure. so yeah, we, we definitely uh, are proud of that, and we stand behind the redundancy and robustness of the aircraft. Well, that, that, those insights are incredible. Uh, let's, you know, talk somewhat about more than just the drones. Uh, help us understand the technology involved in, 
you know, we, we've talked about how these are uncrewed and have autonomous capabilities, but when it comes to infield operations, uh, what else is involved to fly this safely, officially, and a monitor mission on the other end, when the delivery end? Yeah, I was gonna say, I'll, I'll give you a very broad answer and let Ryan get into specifics, is the all of these systems today, we prefer to have them do all of the work themselves. The the automation and autonomy has gotten to the point where in most instances, it is safer and more efficient to program it, hit, hit the takeoff button and let it go do its mission and then come back and recover. Um, you know, Ryan's got a lot of experience hand flying this aircraft and he can tell you about the, the redundancies built in there, but that's always our preference. And so uh, Ryan, if you want to expand on how we do that. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So yes, it can be flown manually, but one of the beautiful things about this aircraft is that it can be completely autonomous. So a pre-planned flight path is uploaded to the aircraft. The aircraft then checks that particular flight plan for accuracy, verifies that it's there and present. And when it's time to launch this aircraft, um, we have a pilot that's monitoring a GCS or ground control station and making sure that everything is in the green and looks good. There's a couple of pre-flight checks that we do. The aircraft gets fired up and essentially uh, auto launches and takes care of everything from the beginning until the end. So the full spool up uh, regime and takeoff, departure, cruise, approach, landing, disarm is all done on its own. Um, and, and like Chris said, the idea behind this is to make this as simple as possible, very robust, reliable. Um, you know, I don't want to put myself out of a job as a pilot, but that's not the idea here. The idea is to make this as safe as possible and so that a wide variety of pilots and operators and visual observers can operate this machine with you know very little risk to them or anybody that's on the ground. All right, so now I'm, I'm gonna get us a little bit deeper into some of the programs you've been working on focusing on medical applications. I, I'm really fascinated by this aspect of it, but first, uh, tell us a bit about how you're actually monetizing today. I, I'm guessing things like infrastructure surveying, uh, I've got a sense of what that is, but describe more about how you complete infrastructure surveying and why it's so important. Sure, I'll, I'll take that up front. So the the way those um, services are normally structured is they pay you by the asset, by the tower or by the pole in the, in the electrical world, or you know, it could be a um, you know a windmill and a solar farm and what, whatever the, the piece of infrastructure is. So um, there is, there is a way to monetize that today. There is, there is money. We were recently awarded a $50 million three-year contract with Southern California Edison uh, to do a lot of that work. Um, so that was, you know, a huge win for the company. Um, I think on the cargo side, it's harder to make that business case right now. Um, there's a lot of sort of one-off demonstrations uh, and we're getting there, we're moving along. Um, but, but people are, I think, just scratching the surface and showing what could be done. Um, and then we'll get into large-scale operations, I think, once the regulations start to open up and allow that. Um, and part of that is the certification of airplanes, and part of that is, is proving the safety case with the FAA and the FAA allowing those operations on, on a broader scale. You know, a lot of the stuff that's being done right now is last-mile kinds of delivery with quadcopters, where you're taking very small packages, very short distances. 
But again, that's, you know, that's sort of a crawl, walk, run. That's where the industry is today. It's not where it's going to be certainly in five or, you know, in certainly in 10 years. Um, yeah, so the exciting thing about this is that it's, it's the, we're in the forefront of this. It's pretty impressive. So uh, let's tell the story to our audience a little bit about the medical missions. Now, Mission Go completed the first successful organ delivery for transplant, as we understand it, by an uncrewed aerial vehicle or UAV, as we call it, in 2019. Now, the drone delivered a kidney to a 44-year-old woman who spent eight years on dialysis. You know, dialysis is a treatment for people whose kidneys are failing. The delivery took just 10 minutes, about 2.6 miles from one hospital to another. So tell us about that historic first. Why was it so significant? Yeah, sure. So I'll go ahead and take that. It it was... um... What a monumental historic flight that was, and that goes back to the day when I was chief pilot for the University of Maryland um, UAS test site, uh, now known as the UROC. And um, Dr. Joe Scalia, one of our founders, came to us and he said, you know, we, we, we've got a real big issue. Um, the organ transportation and organ donation system that we have is good but it could always be better. And I'm not a doctor, I'm a pilot, but what I understand is that for every minute an organ is outside of the body, it's deteriorating, it's dying, which results in life years being removed from the recipient of that organ. So um, this, this wonderful lady who uh, signed up to not only receive this kidney, but improve the medical field and the uncrewed aviation field in making this advancement um, did a really big favor for a lot of people knowing that she was at the end of her dialysis stages and she put her trust and faith in us and of course her doctors to move this kidney as an experiment across the city of baltimore and landed on top of the university of maryland uh, medical center of shock trauma and um we spent a very, very long time doing a lot of tests, of course, before this happened. Um, we started with research kidneys uh, down at the facility at the test site, which we flew on board a couple of different aircraft. There, we, you know, we have a sister company named Medigo, and one of their very early uh, prototype uh, sensors was included on that organ as well. In a nutshell, what that does is replace a human being to be able to understand what that organ went through as it's in the transportation process because we obviously can't put a doctor on our uh, drone right and the person that's receiving that kidney or other organ would probably want to know as well as the doctor that's transplanting it what that organ went through on the way there instead of hey let's just put it in and see what happens so this, the sensor was a part of that package. It was taking all kinds of readings from you know vibrations and temperatures and pressures and other things. And then we had the uncrewed aircraft part of that. Now, it was a different aircraft than we have today. It was the very first concept and idea. But even back then, we knew and understood that redundancy had to be a very, very important part of this. This could not be a quadcopter. It had to be something that had multiple sets of propulsion for each uh, area of the aircraft. Um, That system also had a parachute system on board in, in case something were to happen, and then redundant links as well. 
So it's been some time, but I can tell you that there was quite a bit of redundancy, not quite as much as we have today on our new aircraft, a lot of lessons learned there, but um, it was a big successful flight. There were more than 400 people involved in making that flight happen on April of 2019. Um, that included the Office of Emergency Management, the Baltimore Police Department, the entire medical staff of the University of Maryland Medical System. The FAA was involved with waivers to allow us to do this. And then of course there was us and the aviation team. The chief of police was there beside me. It was one in the morning uh, in, in the night of Baltimore and Dr. Scalia brought over the kidney. We, we did our weight and balance uh, on the kidney and the aircraft, all of our pre-flight checks, loaded it on there, and away it went. We had um, uniformed officers uh, following the aircraft along the path, just in case something were to happen. We had officers at intersections to close the roads as the aircraft was transiting over intersections in various areas. And then of course we had Syscom there talking to the, the big helicopters in case some actual emergency was happening just so that we everybody was on the same page. And it was just a hugely successful mission and operation. Um, I can barely begin to describe in my earpiece the cheers that I heard on the receiving end when the aircraft touched down safely and smoothly just as we planned to execute it. It, it was very exciting. It was a big oh, yeah. deal. It's a big deal. Of course it's a big deal. You were, you were piloting the, the first time that happened. I, here's what I can imagine. 2.6 miles never seems so far <laughs> ever than as you're flying that first mission with this drone, right? And the world is looking at you, basically. Yeah, yeah. It it, it might as well have been an eternity. Um, yeah, yeah. From the time the rotors started until they ended, it was sure. It was quite a night, and uh, wow. it was very exciting. And and to this day, it's still a very exciting thing, and um, it's a real pleasure and honor to be able to continue that work, that research, yeah. and the effort to bring human organ or even critical medical transportation to the rest of the world through uncrewed systems. Now let's change uh, the direction slightly a little bit, but a part I'm seriously fascinated by, Mission Go, Medigo, and the Navajo Nation completed a series of flights in, in January of this year using your MGV-100 drone where you were able to deliver critical cargo like life-saving prescription medications, meal kits, emergency supplies, even livestock medication, to look at how drones could improve healthcare access in rural America. Hey, tell us about Operation Healing Eagle Feather. What was the impact? What did you learn about how drones could be used to improve or even save lives? Yeah, sure, I would be happy to. First of all, Earlier in the year when we performed that mission, that was the first time I've ever been out to the Navajo Nation and the people and the land there are just absolutely beautiful. But what became very, very apparent immediately is the need, um, the need for logistics, the need for, um, you know, uh, having healthcare, pharmaceuticals, access to those things. The land is vast beyond description and it's harsh 
and the environment can become very harsh. And in some cases, the location of where these people live can be absolutely unreachable by normal means and methods of transportation. Um, bringing in an uncrewed system, in particular ours, unlocks a lot of the needs that they have over there and in many ways in a critical manner, you know, immediate need, but then also sometimes the not so immediate need. Um, the livestock being able to drop some kind of medications or perhaps in the future, one of their really big needs is to drop actual food in, in the form of, of hay. Now our aircraft can't lift a hay bale, I wish it could, but uh, perhaps uh, in the future as we scale up and we get into larger platforms, what an incredible application that would be. Um, another thing that they, they deal with out there is the rattlesnakes and the green Mojaves. Mm -hmm. Um, they're, they're super, super venomous and uh, an individual doesn't have a lot of time um, if they're bitten by one of those things. Um, imagine an autonomous aircraft that could receive a GPS coordinate immediately and be launched from uh, a healthcare facility that is either on or near the Navajo Nation and, and go direct to that person mm -hmm. that's in need. Um, a lot of times their roads get washed out and the type of uh, soils that they have there immediately turns into an impassable and impossible situation. Our aircraft can not only provide needed emergency medical um, equipment or uh, pharmaceuticals, but it could also provide surveillance to understand where those needs are, where the areas are washed out, what is impassable, and be able to quantify the help that's needed to get, uh, you know, items and, and people uh, in the right places at the right time. That's an amazing story, really. And so since the first organ delivery in 2019, you've delivered more organs and even transported blood. As part of that mission, you found about a 292%, as I understand it, time improvement over ground transportation. That's pretty incredible. And in an emergency, we all know, medical situations, uh, time is of the essence. So, Rick, I know this is part uh, where you are most excited about. <laughs> Yeah, I've been excited about this whole thing, but the, but this in particular, absolutely. You know, when we started researching the episode and saw blood and organs were being delivered by drones, I frankly had a lot of questions about it. Uh, let, let's start with some of the basics, though. What specific considerations do you have to take into account when transporting cargo that really could be considered biohazardous, right? And now it's flying through the sky. I imagine there's a lot of uh, collaborations with hospitals uh, and your partners to make all of this happen, right? Yeah, I, th I think there's a couple things that I'll touch on, then Ryan can jump in, um, is, you know, you, you, you look at the packaging, right? What's going to protect it and seal that product? And, and, and you can put tamper-proof um, seals on it, you know, to maintain the integrity of it, because if, if it were to be intercepted, if the aircraft had to land or something, you would then know if it had potentially been exposed or, or, or handled inappropriately in some way. Um, you know, they've looked at, we're, we're talking to some of our medical providers, you know, how do you do medicine, medicines like a, a narcotic or a painkiller that's a controlled substance, right? Again, there's considerations on can you have a lockable mechanism that can be remotely released once you verify the identity of the person on the receiving end. You know, the technology, you can use technology to address those things, but they're definitely certainly considerations. We, we recently did um, a couple of operations. We did one 
in Detroit. We did about 40 some odd flights over two weeks amongst different buildings of a medical campus in a pretty dense urban environment. And that's, I think, the 292% uh, reduction number came from that uh, post-mortem report. Um, and, and we found because of city traffic and other things, we could go point A to point B uh, where they had, you know, a car and a driver sitting in traffic for 15, 20 minutes to cover a short distance with blood samples that needed to be analyzed where we could get them there in a matter of two minutes. So, so that was one example. And, and a greater example, we just got back do, doing some work in Texas with a, uh, the Matador Consortium, great group uh, centered around Texas Tech out in Lubbock, Texas, um, and really enjoyed working with them. And one of their challenges is people that are on the waiting list for transplants um, in the organ donation world have to be regularly tested. They have blood test requirements weekly, uh, I think sometimes several times a week, depending on the situation, to um, track their health and, and, and to continue their um, eligibility to receive a, a donor organ. Um, and sometimes they may be four or five hours drive from the nearest medical facility. Um, so there's a time distance problem and geography problem in certain parts of the country and certain parts of the world that you can overcome. If, if, so there are people today who live in that environment who are not on the transplant list who need a transplant organ because of that. So if you could use uncrewed aircraft to cover that distance and get them on there. And, and if that's all we need is somebody out there to draw a, bio, a vial of blood and transport it, well, what a perfect opportunity to set up a network out there to be able to do that kind of work. Yeah, and I'll add on to uh, what Chris said with a couple other exercises and operations we've done to include high-speed blood transport. Hmm. Uh, we know we can transport blood, but in some cases, um, blood and even tissue for doing certain genetics testing, as I understand it, um, even with um, newborn babies or even uh, preborn, they they need some genetics testing done with tissue that time is of the essence. So one of the questions that we had and they had was, how fast can we speed up the process of delivery of these things, and in particular, in a very urban and dense environment? Well, our aircraft typically cruises at about 33 miles an hour, but it's very easy just to turn up the speed to roughly 60 miles per hour, mm. which is really, really great um, in uh, seeing that those speeds are typically reserved for fixed-wing aircraft. Now, we have VTOLs today. But a lot of the fixed-wing aircraft still require your traditional runway or at least a long space for takeoff and landing. Unnecessary with a helicopter, of course. So we've got the VTOL component. We've got the stability of the single-rotor helicopter. And then we also have the speed component. Mm -hmm. So one of our uh, partners from the Baltimore area said, you know, hey, we typically drive about seven miles in traffic uh, to get from our clinics and to the labs to do some of these samples. And it takes us about 40, 38 to 40 minutes to do that drive um, in particular hours of the day. So, um, you know, what, what could you do with your aircraft? So we took the two points where their lab was and where the clinic was. And it turns out that the straight line of sight was only five miles because we could go straight with the aircraft. So we simulated that. And we saw, we took an entire day to do fully autonomous takeoff and landings. How many of those could we do um, back to back? 
and saw a huge increase flying at between 50 and 60 miles an hour um, and, and covering just a tremendous amount of room. Even with the takeoff and landings, it was over a 300% increase. It was just fantastic. Um, so it, again, shows the power of uh, uncrewed systems and what they can do. Uh, I, I would guess that nobody could average 60 miles per hour in any of our major metropolitan areas from one side to the next if they were driving a car, <laughs> at least without getting in a lot of trouble. So um, uncrewed systems makes that a realistic and re real possibility. Now, I've learned a lot here between, uh, you know, Chris and Ryan, but uh, one of the things that I'm inspired about is to learn how this technology is not only impressive, but it, it, it saves lives, you know. As we get together and, and look towards the end, I wanted to ask about the uh, cargo operations and that, that one-mile delivery. I, I know this is important to Walmart, Google, Amazon, and many other players are working on this as well. With a pilot program you conducted in Michigan, you completed more than 40 flights over the span of 10 days and found that drones can produce savings of 66% in travel time, 50% in operational costs. I mean, these, these are amazing numbers. As we discussed, these drones are also electric, which could also go a long way in reducing carbon dioxide emissions, you know, something that will be important in, to transition towards and cleaner energy. So as we get to the end, help us zoom out a bit about the diverse use cases that you can expect to see in the future and the impact of drone delivery and how it scales up. Sure. I, I mean, I think on the, on the delivery side, um, it's right now it's about we're going for those critical, you know, whether it's medical, whether it's a, you know, a part to an oil rig offshore that, you know, that shut down and is awaiting a part to get back online. Uh, there's industrial settings where people said, you know, they could do a premium, right? It's worth it to me to pay, make up a number, $10,000 to have this delivered you know, instantly direct at, at a high rate, very reliable, um, where you can't do that daily when you're doing consumer goods. So the folks that are doing that last mile quadcopter delivery, it's for them, it's about scale, right? They have to get to literally hundreds of thousands and millions of deliveries to make that profitable. So it's really a, it's, it's really a different business model. Um, and they, they're sort of complementary. And, and I think um, those companies will get the scale at some point to become profitable. Uh, we look more at that sort of mid middle mile, um, maybe between distribution hubs or, again, that critical link or that critical component um, that people are willing to make a, to pay a premium for. So different segments of the market and I think different companies are positioned uh, either based on their product or their mindset and their experience to address different parts of that market. So, you know, we've talked about what's possible today, what you've accomplished today, what you've achieved. But I'm, I'm getting a little sense that because you're so intimately involved with this, you got a pretty good idea that there's other possibilities in the future. There's other capabilities for this technology. Gosh, we've done this. Now if they just let us have a chance to do this, what is it you see when you look to the future? Yeah, I'll answer and then Ryan, please jump in. It, it, you know, I, I see, you know, today our company, as the example, is working on the electric grid. There's other people that are looking at railroads. They're looking at gas and oil pipelines. They're looking at 
you know, oil rigs, doing methane detection to prevent, you know, releases, um, doing vegetation encroachment near critical infrastructure. Um, you know, you, you can have radiation uh, detectors near a nuclear power plant. You can do all of those, you know, critical infrastructure is a huge word um, and it means a lot of different things. So not only can you carry a variety of sensors to address the requirements of that piece of infrastructure, but as we start getting it beyond visual line of sight, you can do it very, very efficiently over long, you know, dozens and eventually hundreds and then thousands of miles. And, and I forget the, the numbers off the top of my head, but there are literally hundreds of thousands of miles of power lines and pipelines just in the United States alone. So those, those opportunities, we are just scratching the surface of what we can do. Yeah, and, and I'll add on to that, that, you know, the, the possibilities are, are rather limitless. And, um, you know, we actually, we were just talking about this the other day, but um, there's, there's not enough um, hours, drones, or people in the world to tackle all the wonderful things that this new technology is bringing us. So one of our mantras is uh, drones for good. And <laughs> we try to use and utilize our drones and our talent and our expertise to try to sift through all the wonderful things that's out there, but utilize our drones for good to the best possible extent that we can um, in order to just chip away at all the opportunity that's out there. Uh, the cargo delivery business is a really, really big one. Uh, the inspection, of course, is huge. That's saving lives today, by the way. That's, that's, that's real, and that's happening right now. Um, and then the other part of our company is the, is the training part. So we are bringing uh, law enforcement groups and other groups on board every single day and making really, really great pilots out of all of them. Uh, of course, most of them will keep their day job and they'll keep doing what they're doing with, uh, with drones there. But it's not uncommon that they love it and they expand into other uh, areas of expertise. So we're, we're trying to tackle this, uh, this really big problem and opportunity and uh, with unmanned and uncrewed systems in a variety of different directions. Well, I'd say after listening to the show today, John, that uh, there are two uh, pretty talented and worthy gentlemen to be leading, uh, leading this technology and leading this charge, don't you think? Oh, to be at the front edge of this technology and, and the worth it's going to bring to lives and people across the country, I think it's an amazing story. Yeah. Well done, gentlemen. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you, and yeah, it's it's an honor and a privilege to to be able to lead this company and and you know Ryan and and, and the other founders. Uh, what a tremendous wealth of talent I walked into. So I feel pretty lucky to be yeah, here. That's what they taught you in the Navy. Look for the smart guys and get in front of them, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Chris Cornati and Ryan Henderson for joining us. That was so cool. I loved uh, the part about the, the Navajo Nation and, and the work they're doing there, the necessary work they're doing there. It was fascinating. What were your takeaways, John? And I go back to when aviation first started. You know, it was kind of fun to watch people do acrobatics and all. We never really fully understood the full cap capability of what airplanes could do. And now we're in drones. We're in the same position now. We, yeah, it's fun to watch. It's fun to fly. It's, it's fun to film sports and all sorts of different things that are going around the country. But now we have a real purposeful mission that is actually going out there and delivering 
equipment and parts and pieces to people around the country for valuable uh, different kinds of occupations. But most importantly, I found fascinating was it saves lives. Amen to that. Yeah. Well said, John. Thank you. And that's going to do it, folks, for episode 13 of the Behind the Wings podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure to visit wingsmuseum.org slash podcast to join the conversation. You can also access the show notes there. All right. We'll be back soon with another episode of Behind the Wings. Head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to subscribe and leave a review. It helps us a lot, and we appreciate it. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Wings.